Well, this morning we are starting a new series in the book of Ephesians, um, which we're calling All Things New. And so Ephesians is kind of about how we have new life in Christ um, and how that filters through our relationship as individuals, our relationships with other church members, our relationship with our spouses, with our children, with our neighbors, and with our friends, and how everything that we do, because we are in Christ, now has this new dimension, this new meaning, this new purpose to it. And so that's what we're looking at for Ephesians. And so normally, when we start a new book like this, I would give you a lot of background on like who wrote the book, which was Paul, and who it's written to, which is obviously the Ephesians, um, and all of the background. But the beauty of the book of Ephesians is it's actually written in such a way that it could be written to a church today. And so I'm going to skip all of that historical stuff and just say, let's just take this as if it was written to us, which it sort of was, um, and see what it has to say for us this morning. And so we're just going to jump straight in um, to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, um, which is page 1036 um, in the Pew Bible that is sitting in front of you, um, or you can follow along in our app. And while you're turning there, if you didn't get one on the way in, um, for this series we're providing four or five dollars, or if you just want one, you can take one. Um, scripture journals that look like this, so on the inside they have the scripture on one side and where you can take notes on the other. Um, I think we have one left in the back. I'll order more this week. Um, but if you want one of those, you can just grab one um, either if you're the first one out today or you can get one next week. But it'll have the entire book of Ephesians so you can follow along in that as well. So I just wanted you to know that was coming. So let's read um, just the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. And so we're just going to kind of work our way through this and see what it has to say. But first, it was written by Paul, right? He calls himself an apostle, which is essentially a missionary who was sent by God for a certain purpose. But notice he says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will, right? God's will. This wasn't Paul's plan um, for his life to be a missionary preaching the gospel, at least this gospel, to other people. He had other ideas for his life. He was actually very successful before he became a Christian. He was known. Um, he had power and influence. He was a rising star in the Jewish world. Um, but God breaks into Paul's life and changes the trajectory of where he was headed forever. His destiny is different from the moment Jesus opens his eyes and calls him to follow him and proclaim the good news of Jesus to others. And then he says, to the faithful saints at Ephesus. Now, usually when Paul writes a letter to a church, um, it's not good news right? Normally you have messed up or done something that he thinks you shouldn't be doing, and so he's writing a letter to correct you. Um, we're going through Galatians, and essentially the first two or three chapters are saying, look, 
I gave you the gospel. Don't start adding stuff back to it. Don't go back to being Jews. Don't go back to being circumcised. Don't go back to following the law. And so he's just like going over and over. Don't keep doing this. In a book like 1 Corinthians, where, I mean, there's a whole list. They're getting drunk at communion. They're showing favoritism. They're allowing false teaching. Um, But in Ephesians, he calls them faithful saints. And what's different about Ephesians is there's no correction in the book of Ephesians. There's no, you should stop doing this or don't do this anymore. I heard you're doing this. It's because they've been faithful. And so instead, Paul is going to give them instructions for how to live out this new life in all aspects, both individual and corporate life. And so they are saints in Christ, right? Being in Christ is what makes them saints. And this phrase, in Christ, um, we were talking about it coincidentally Um, Grace and Peace, who also uses our building, is also going through Ephesians at the same time, and so they're a little ahead of us. I promise I'm not preaching the same sermons that they did, so don't, you can go back and listen, they'll be different, I promise. Um, But don't listen, because he only preaches for 20 minutes, so don't get spoiled by that kind of stuff, okay? (laughs) Um, But anyway, he uses this phrase, in Christ, in some form, 12 times in the first 14 verses. And so, what we were talking about in the discussion, it was, they were kind of talking as a staff kind of what it meant for the passage, and I just kind of walked in and I said, if you're talking about Ephesians, the answer is in Christ. Whatever you're talking about, whatever Paul's talking about, the answer for all of those things is in Christ. And so, yes, it's a little more complicated than that, but this is a major theme of the book. One guy compared it to that this phrase, in Christ, is the seed that this whole tree with all of these huge branches grows out of. And so everything we see in Ephesians, all of the things, and we're going to get a short list of them today, um, of these blessings that we get and things that come out of it, it all starts with being in Christ. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, the other thing that we don't know because, um, you know, English, is verses 3 through 14 in the first chapter are all one sentence in the original Greek. All one sentence. So no periods in the whole thing. And it begins with, right, blessed is. And this word for blessed is the same word that we use for eulogy. Right? A blessing is what it, what it really means. And so what Paul is doing here in the beginning is, can you imagine giving a blessing for the person who has given given you the most in life. They've provided for you. They've given you extravagant gifts. They've walked beside you in your hardest moments. They've celebrated you when you had enormous triumphs. And so you're just telling us about them and the excited words of what they've done for you just start pouring out of your mouth. And you rattle off one thing after another and the words just kind of flow out in your joy and in your praise and in your thanks. Right, this is how Paul starts Ephesians. Um, I compared him this week to a kid on Christmas afternoon. So like if you're grandparents and you're visiting in the afternoon after your grandkids have already opened all their presents and you ask them, how did it go this morning? And they just start rattling off. Well, I got up and I saw presents and I opened them and we had stockings and we had candy and we had all this stuff and he just kind of throws it all out at you all at once. He just keeps talking and there's no pauses. That's kind of what Paul is doing here in the first chapter of Ephesians. He's doing the exact same thing. And so he's saying, we are blessed, we have received spiritual blessings, we're chosen in Christ, our salvation is secure, we can be holy and blameless before God. We aren't just in, in the family, we're in the family, we're adopted, we get to become sons and daughters of God. 
But there's more. We get forgiveness of sins. We get the riches of grace, wisdom, inheritance. We're sealed with the Spirit. And all of this is for all our good and God's glory. And that's just the first 11 verses, right? But he's excited about what he sees in Christ. And so when we think of this, as we work through this, we should be full of worship and excitement as we listen to the blessings that God has given us. And that should bring gratitude for us for what he has done. And so Paul is carried along by the Holy Spirit as he writes this, as the inspired word of God in his excitement to show us these things, which is what we see next. He begins to give us these, this list of all the things that God has given us, and we see that next in verse 3. It says, He is blessed as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And so first, we are blessed with spiritual blessings, with every spiritual blessing. So everything that we have in our spiritual lives comes from being in Christ through God the Father. So this is a shift from the Old Testament, because if you think back to the Old Testament, whatever you may know, God has a chosen people, the people of Israel. And the blessings for God's chosen people were usually physical, right? I'll give you a ton of descendants, I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you peace and prosperity. I'll give you peace from your enemies. I'll protect you. I'll give you long life. All of those are physical blessings. Now, they did have some spiritual blessings included in that. But in the Old Testament, most of God's promises are in the physical. But in the New Testament, especially after Jesus comes, there's a shift to spiritual blessings. Now, we may get some physical blessings along the way, but the main focus is spiritual, right? Those benefits that are specifically for our spiritual life. And so the rest of the verses that we see today, and actually next week as well, is just a list of all of the blessings that we get, all of the spiritual blessings that we get. Um, And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving right now because we're going to go all the way through them. But he also describes these blessings as being in the heavens, in Christ. And I want to start with being in Christ because I want us to understand this concept since it's so crucial to the book. So usually when we think of someone being in Christ, we think of salvation and belief in Christ, and that is part of it. Um, But the way Paul is using it is, is slightly different than that, right? He's saying we are in Christ positionally, meaning it carries the idea of a location or a place or of incorporation, of becoming part of something. And so the location that believers are in is in Christ, right? So right now we would say we are in Austin or we are in Brentwood or we're next to Crestview. So that's our physical location. When you become in Christ, you're essentially moving from being outside of something outside of the city limits to being inside, in this location. Um, We saw this language, if you remember back to the book of Mark, Mark is all the way through, the gospel of Mark is about insiders and outsiders and how you move from being an outsider to an insider. And so this is what in Christ means. You've moved from being an outsider to being an insider. And it also carries the idea of incorporation, of being united to Christ for life. And so this idea of being incorporated, where, where I live um, is the city of Austin. But the other half of my neighborhood is not city of Austin. They are not annexed. They're their own thing. But I, as being in the city of Austin, 
get some benefits that they don't get, meaning the city of Austin comes and repaves my roads every once in a while. So our side of the neighborhood has really nice roads that the other side doesn't often get. And the city of Austin comes and picks up my trash just automatically. I don't really have to do anything. People on the other side of the neighborhood have to find another trash company and call them and get all of that to happen. So there are benefits to being in the city of Austin. And the same thing is true for us, right? We, if that part of the neighborhood was annexed or incorporated into the city of Austin, they would immediately get all of the benefits that I'm getting. <clears throat> the same thing comes with being in Christ, right? When you are in Christ, you get all of the benefits that come with being in Christ. You get salvation, you get forgiveness of sins, you get all of these things immediately. You're being connected to Christ and you receive the life that comes from that. John talks about this, about the, this concept of the vine and the branches, and many of you are familiar with that, right? He is the vine and you are the branches, and apart from him, you can do nothing, right? Apart from Christ, if you are outside, away from Christ, you do nothing. But in Christ, you can do all things. You can have salvation. You can have all of the things that come with it. And so this place that we are in Christ, he describes as in the heavens, which is where Christ is now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we all understand as believers that our true citizenship is in heaven. Our true life and our true rewards are in heaven. And this points to the, this concept of Christianity is called the already and the not yet, right? We are already in Christ and we have some benefits of salvation but things are not yet the way they're going to be. We don't fully realize all of those things until Jesus returns and makes them the way that they're supposed to be, and we are with him. And so here, we are in Christ at some level, but we're also in heaven at some level. Um, another way to think about this is if you have like a favorite place that you go to visit or like the place where you grew up, that you don't live anymore, and you just say, my heart is in that place, right? There's a song, right? I left my heart in San Francisco, right? It's that kind of thing is, right? You may move from that place. You may leave that place. You may rarely visit that place, but it's where your heart is. And so what Paul is saying is our hearts are in heaven already. They're already there. And one day we will physically get to be there. So when he says we are in Christ in the heavens, he's talking about this concept. And so he says we have these spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavens. So what are these blessings that we receive? And so we're going to work our way through um, the next three verses um, and kind of see what it says. I talked too fast at the beginning. i got to catch my breath for a second. All right, so we're going to look, kind of combine some of them together, but next we're going to see that we are chosen and predestined in Christ. And we see this at the beginning of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. And so we are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and we are predestined. And so I know these two words, being chosen and being predestined, um, are loaded words from Scripture. Um, the debates about what these mean and how they work are still going today. Um, 2,000 years later, we're still kind of debating these and how they affect salvation and eternal life. Um, and usually, 
when we hear these words, chosen, predestined, elect, election, all of those things kind of come in a package together, um, we think about them individually, right? Am I chosen? Am I one of the elect? Am I one of God's people? Or is my friend or my spouse or my coworker one of them? But I learned something interesting this week as I was reading through this, is that these terms, at least when they're used by Paul, aren't used to talk about individuals and whether they are chosen or not, but they have a corporate dimension to them, right? Like the people of Israel as God's chosen people in the Old Testament. It's a similar concept here. So I'm asking just for, you know, the 10 minutes, well, less than 10 minutes, I promise, that we're going to talk about this, right? That we're going to let go of some of the things that come with this and the controversy and the loaded terms, but think of it because I think it'll be helpful for us. Because this also isn't about the who, but the how, right? It doesn't seek to determine who can tell us who can or will come to faith, but how they come to faith. They come to faith because they have responded to the call by God to repent and believe. So there was, there's a great explanation um, by a, an old preacher, and I'm basically going to summarize that for you because I think it does a good, good job of explaining kind of what this means and how it works. And we're just kind of going to leave it at this this morning. Um, I have a feeling these things will come back up as we go through the book of Ephesians, so we'll get more as we go along. Um, but he, he explained it like this. He said, you've heard of the idea of a, a narrow door or a gate that gets you into heaven. And written on the gate is written... Whosoever will, let him come. But some may be caught up on the terminology and say, I may not be one of the elect. I may not be chosen. So it would be useless for me to try to go through the door because the door won't let me in. It won't open for me. But the invitation on the door is true. Right? It is for everyone. They can, the call came to everyone, the door can be entered by all, but many refuse and die in their sins. But you can't blame God for that, because the door was open, the invitation was given, but they refused. They pursued their own way and can only blame themselves. But someone else will say, what is that? And the answer is, it's the way to life. And his response is, I want to find life. I found no satisfaction in this world. I want to know what this life is and how I can get it, how I can be free from sin, and how I can be fit to be in God's presence. And as they draw near to the door and they listen, the Holy Spirit impresses the message on his heart and he says, I'm going in. I accept the invitation. I will go through the door. He crosses through and he gets to the other side. And he sees written on the other side of the door as he looks back, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he goes, what? God had fixed his heart on me before the world existed? Yes, but you can't discover that until you come inside, until you walk through the door. You can pass through the door if you will, or you can trample the love of God beneath your feet. You can spurn his grace if that is your choice, but the call is for all to come, and all can come if they choose him. And so as we think about these words of chosen and predestination and elect, think of it like that, is anyone can come. Anyone can be saved. The call is to all. 
And as we go through, we see that God had been working in our lives all along from the beginning to draw us to salvation. But why do these things matter? Why does it matter that we are chosen and predestined? And I I think it gives us three things. One, it gives us security in our salvation. If your salvation was determined before the foundation of the world, not just before you were born, right? Before the world existed, then we can be secure in it. Because it was decided a long, 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 long time ago. And so if you come to faith and you walk through that door and you trust in Christ and you have salvation, it wasn't up to you. Right? God did that, moved in you, and you walked through the door with his will. So you can be secure in that. You don't have to doubt your salvation. You don't have to doubt that you are in Christ. It also gives us an, a sense of identity. Our identity or who we truly are can be found in Christ. So as you wrestle with who you are, or what am I supposed to do, or what am I supposed to do in school, or for a job, or how am I supposed to be a good parent, or in our relationships, as we try to figure out what we should do, we can rest in Christ because he knew us before the foundation of the world. He knew us before we were born, and he knows us better than anyone else. He knows who we were created to be. Our identity ultimately can be found in him, in our creator who knows us better than anything else. But it also gives us a destiny, right? Because you are predestined right? For destiny. Your destiny is set. And I don't think this is a concept that we like struggle with, right? I think some of us, or most of us, or maybe even all of us have this sense of destiny, purpose. There are things that I'm, something I'm supposed to do in life, right? We have this destiny. We see this a lot in movies, um, but I think we kind of all feel a sense of this. And so the idea that there is something that you are supposed to do, that you have this destiny, is still true, It just turns out somebody knew what it was way, 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 way before you did, right? God knew your destiny way, way, way before you did, and you may may be trying to figure that out right now. What am I supposed to do? What does God want me to do? How does he want me to live? The good news is God already knows that. So as we seek him and we reach out to him and we commune with him and we listen to him, he can direct us to that, right? So it gives us a sense of destiny. So we are chosen and predestined to be in Christ to accomplish God's plan for the goals of and goals for his people. Even before we were born, knowing all the things that we would do, all the mistakes, all the sins, all the issues we would have, we were unholy, we were guilty, we were deserving of judgment. But instead, God chose in his grace to change us to make us holy and blameless in Christ, which is what we see in verses 4 and 5. If you go back and look, after it says we are chosen and we are predestined, we are chosen to be adopted. We are chosen to be holy and blameless. I got ahead of myself. We're going to do holy and blameless first. We'll come back to being adopted. So what does it say? We're not only chosen in Christ, but we are to be made to be holy and blameless. Right? We are holy meaning we are different than we used to be. When you become in Christ, you are different. We were unholy, we were unclean, we were sinners. 
But now we are different. We are set apart for God and his purposes. Our destiny has changed, and with it, our actions will change. We are also blameless. All the things we have done, all the things we've said to our spouses, to our children, to our parents, to our friends, or even to ourselves that break God's commands or hurt others, all the things we've done to betray God for something else, all the things we've thought that are rooted in selfishness and wickedness, they're all covered. We no longer have any blame for them. It's like they never happened. The slate has been wiped clean. There's no blame left. That means that wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you think what we're talking about this morning is nonsense, and you're like, I don't understand why we're even talking about this, or whether you've lived your life like a saint or tried to, or you should be in prison right now because of something you've done, Whatever you've done, wherever you find yourself, you can be holy. You are chosen and destined to be holy. But the question I asked was, well, how does that even work? How can I be holy and blameless? How can that happen? And we have a clue here in the words that are used. The word for blameless is also translated unblemished. And it's used in the Old Testament um, to describe an acceptable sacrifice to God. And so in order for us to be holy and blameless, we also need an acceptable sacrifice. A sacrifice without blemish. Like we see in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Or Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God. He can remove the guilt. He can remove the shame. He can remove your fear. He can remove the leftovers from past mistakes, from the times where we hurt others, or maybe just the fear of being found out for who you really are. We can become holy and blameless and unblemished through the unblemished and spotless lamb who sacrificed himself for us, which we see in Colossians 1.22. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And this is what it means to be in Christ Right, to trust his perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we can be holy. He takes our sin and he pays the penalty for them. The penalty that we owed for our actions. And in return, he makes us holy before God. And so we are chosen for holiness and blamelessness, which means once you are in Christ... You don't just get to sit around and do whatever you want because you are chosen. 
It means we live out the purpose of being chosen, becoming more and more holy through our obedience to Christ. And we're not only made holy, we are also adopted, right? We are adopted in Christ. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ himself. We are chosen to be a part of God's family. And this may be harder for some of us to understand because we have families or we have good families. Um, and so we're not like looking for a new family. Um, but some of you may not like your family um, or you may want a new family or you have been adopted or you are in the process of trying to adopt someone. And so I want us to think about, of it like this, right? We've been talking about being in Christ and the why and the how behind it. But I don't want anyone to feel like they don't deserve to be in. They don't deserve to get in. Now, theologically, I understand that none of us deserve to be in Christ. We are all sinners in need of redemption. But I think sometimes we may not feel or experience fully the acceptance that comes in Christ. Or maybe you feel like, man, I just barely made it in. Right? I just squeaked in to salvation, into heaven. I just barely got in, but when I get there, I know I'm going to be the person that's like sitting in the corner who nobody pays attention to because I just barely squeaked in here. Like, I shouldn't even be here. Right? I don't want us to feel like that because this is where adoption comes in. Right? When we're talking about salvation and being in heaven and being in Christ, you don't just get in or you get on the list or you barely make, make it in or you're tolerated by God when you get there. What this tells us is that we are adopted. We are part of the family. We are sons and daughters with full rights and full privileges right alongside Jesus. That's what we get for being adopted. There's no squeaking in. Right? All of us. Everyone who is in Christ is a son and daughter of God. And all the things that come with being a son and daughter of God are given to you. Right? That's what it means to be adopted. You get everything because you are a son and daughter. So if you ever doubt, if you ever feel unworthy, if you feel like you've messed up too many times, even after becoming a Christian, you can know and understand that you are loved, you are accepted, you are adopted son or daughter in Christ. And nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. And then we see the end of that, end of verse 5 and verse 6 says this. It says, according to the good pleasure of his will. So all the things he just listed are given to us according to the good pleasure of his will. Right? So God did all of this for us. He made us in Christ. He chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. He makes us holy and blameless. Why did he do that? Out of his good pleasure. He wanted to do this for us. He joyfully does this for us, not begrudgingly, not because he has to get a certain people, a number of people into heaven. And so he's like, well, I got to meet my quota, so I guess I'll let Ben in because he gets my numbers up, 
right? That's not what God is doing, right? He doesn't just let you in because he's trying to hit some number, right? It was his plan and his pleasure. It's no accident that you are or you can be in Christ. God is a God of grace, and he gives us so much more than we deserve, which is what verse 6 actually says. Um, You may have lavished, uh, your translation may have freely bestowed um, instead for that word. Um, But the root word, graced us with grace. He gave us more than we deserved for nothing. For nothing. He gave us more than we deserved. Right? We didn't deserve salvation, but he gave it to us anyway. But he didn't stop there like, hey, you're in. You're in heaven. You've made it. But then he keeps going. Right? He makes us holy and blameless without blemish in his sight so that we can be in his presence forever. He doesn't just let us into heaven, okay, you're in, that's enough. No, he adopts us and makes us part of his family. And the list will continue next week. We're going to see more of these next week. So the things that God has given to us, how he has graced us, given us more than we ever deserve. Because all of these blessings that we receive are undeserved. But he gives them anyway. Because he loves us. And it's his nature to give us things that we don't deserve. So this week, let's remember and let's reflect on the spiritual blessings that God has given us. And let's worship and let's rejoice. And let's think of them, right? Like the kid on Christmas morning. I get to be saved? I get to be with Jesus for all eternity? I get to be adopted? I get to be holy and blameless? I get to be part of the family? I get all of that? Right? Let's remember the joy that comes with what God has done for us. Let's remember that this week and celebrate and be thankful for what he has done in our lives. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for your blessings so many that you give to us that, that we don't deserve, right? We're, we're broken, we're sinful, we're, we're rebellious, we're selfish, we want to do our own thing, we want to turn away from you and just follow our own desires, our own wishes. But I pray that you would help us to see that blessings come with being in Christ. And so if we're here this morning, it's as simple as walking through the door and saying, I believe and I trust I understand the invitation is for me to come and to walk through the door, to believe that you died on the cross for my sins so that I could have life, that you took the punishment for them, paid the penalty so you could absorb God's wrath so that I could have life. Or if we've already walked through the door of trusting in you that we can look back and know that we were chosen, we are a part of your family. We don't have to worry or doubt about our worthiness or the things that we have done or the guilt and the shame from what we've done in our lives or to figure out who we're supposed to be. All of those things can be found in you.
We are a part of you. So help us to seek you, to trust in you, to follow you, to read your word, to see more of your blessings so that we can be thankful and joyful and excited about what you've done in our lives. So God, help us to remember all that you have given us and to serve you well, to become who you've created us to be, holy and blameless, adopted sons and daughters in Christ. And it's your name I pray. Amen.